Awesome. Uh, first things first, it's a bonfire night this um, Friday night for youth. Uh, the weather is chilly. Um, it's time for the, fon- the bonfires to begin. So if you're a high school student, um, come on out to that, 6.30 till 8. Um, we'd love to have you along. Um, but yeah, it's so good to be here tonight, um, speaking to you, bringing the word of God. It's a real privilege, actually. Um, we've been reading through the book of Mark over the last few weeks with the view of answering the question Jesus gives his disciples in verse eight, chapter 29. He says to them, who do you say I am? And uh, as we've been reading Mark, um, I don't know if you feel like this, um, but I I feel it's very easy to read the book of Mark and be quite overwhelmed at first. There is a lot to take in. Mark is a blow-by-blow, playbook kind of guy. Um, you know, we see Jesus baptized, call his first disciples, drive out impure spirits, preach throughout Galilee. He heals people from physical illness. I'm running out of fingers here. Heals people from mental illness, heals a paralytic man, calls out the Pharisees for their religiosity. And we're only up to chapter three. There is a lot to take in. There is a lot going on. There is so, and there's still so much more to come. There is so much evidence of Jesus's power, so many stories which shape our view of who Jesus is and help us answer this question. You know, I was thinking about this earlier in the week. In in life, we are always looking for patterns. Um, It's part of our human experience to be looking for the way things operate, the order in which they operate, the pattern that they operate in, in order to be able to predict something about the future and make a desirable Uh, make a decision which will have a desirable outcome. Um, We follow patterns in order to um, make the best of them, to get something out of them. And and when I say a pattern, I'm not talking about the, um, for all you sewers out there who who use the patterns to create stuff in a sewing sense. Um, A pattern, I mean, is the repeated or regular way in which something happens or is done. Okay, so for example, we look for patterns in the housing market Uh, to determine whether it's a good time to buy or sell. The same in stocks or cryptocurrency, if that's your thing at the moment. You look for patterns. Um, You look for patterns in social settings, in social relationships. Um, You know, when I say this thing or when I act this way, I don't get a good response. But when I say this thing or when I do this thing, there's a pattern of me getting a really good response. So I wanna follow that pattern. You know, we look for patterns all the time, um, mostly without conscious thought, to be honest. So if I want to avoid getting stuck in traffic, I will avoid traveling northbound on Gympie Road between 3 and 5 p.m. every day because it is the worst. There is a million people leaving work from the city to get home. It's a pattern that I've noticed, and so it it comes into my decision-making. No one would argue um, that looking for patterns is a, is a bad way to live. Like, I'm not saying that at all. It's a very reasonable way to make decisions in life, if not the best way to make decisions. You know, even in the Bible, through the book of Proverbs, um, the book of Proverbs advocates wise decision-making as the way in which God would have us live. But the temptation, uh, when we get to the book of Mark, and, you know, we see Jesus just do miraculous thing after miraculous thing time and time again, is, is this, pat, this way of thinking is to look for the patterns of Jesus and how he operates, but not to know him more, but to be able to predict him a bit more, to be able to 
in a, in a, in a worldly sense, draw out benefits. You know, it's a, the temptation is to build a safe and comfortable model of Jesus where we hear that Jesus is capable of doing all these things. Therefore, Jesus, um, I want Jesus because he meets my earthly needs. He meets my um, physical needs. He can fix the problem in my life right now. And, you know, we can see how the people around Jesus at the time also had this sort of attitude. You know, in chapter one, it says they, they began bringing to him all those who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole town was gathered together at the door. Again, chapter three, verse seven, says a great crowd from Galilee followed him. Once news comes that there is a man who can heal sickness and disease and expel demons, people come flocking from all over to have their needs met. Not all of them, but there is a percentage of them that uh, they just want Jesus for the temporary fix, but they are not prepared to truly know him. They want Jesus to, to come and, and heal their, their physical ailments, but that's, that's about where it, where it ends for them. They, they're not interested in, in following him any further than that. And Jesus tells his disciples that these people are like seeds who have been sown on the rocky ground, who whenever they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but are temporary. Then, this is the key part, when affliction or persecution comes because of the word, immediately they fall away. Jesus is saying these people, they receive my words, they receive my healing and they receive my kindness. But when the same kindness, when the same words, when the same healing costs them, they bail. When things come along which shake them, which threaten their faith, their earthly security, they fall away. Of course, this is, this is not everyone in the crowd. There are those that are faithful in the crowd. But, but nonetheless, the warning is here for us as well. And, and, and what it is, is that we must take care that our motive towards these stories in the book of Mark, in the gospel of Mark, not be, how can I have faith in order that I can receive? But instead, how can I have faith despite the circumstances in my life? How can I have a faith which is not shaken by, by the external circumstances, by the situations that I find myself in? How can I have a faith that is steadfast and is in the assurance of Jesus and Jesus alone? So with this sort of in the, in the, sort of in the forefront of your minds now, we're gonna look into a, a really famous story of Jesus calming the storm found in Mark 4, 35 to 41. So let's read this, this story together. It says, and on that day when it was evening, Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him along as he was in the boat and other boats were with him. And a great storm of wind developed and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already being filled with water. And he was in the stern sleeping on the cushion and they woke him up and said to him, teacher, is it not a concern to you that we are perishing? And he woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, be quiet, 
be silent. And the wind abated and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you fearful? Do you not yet have faith? And the disciples were terribly frightened and began to say to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is God's word to us tonight. You know, at first glance, uh, we get this incredible picture of Jesus's power in this story. We get an incredible insight. You know, before this, we've seen Jesus do incredible things. We've seen him, you know, heal people physically and, and do amazing things. But Jesus is stepping it up here. Jesus is gone from, you know, physical healings to um, physical miracles rather, to now nature miracles, okay? He's stepping it up. He is, he is not holding back his powers. Um, he's literally changing the weather, okay? And there's, there's two things I just wanna quickly point out, two reasons why um, sort of the symbolism of the weather is really significant um, for us. And the first is the idea of the chaos of the sea. What I, what I mean by that is that for the people of Jesus's time, the sea was a symbol of chaos. It could not be controlled. It, it could not be tamed. Um, if you were to go out into the sea, this is still true today, but for, particularly in those times, it was this particular view of the sea that they had. If you were to go out into the sea, you were at the mercy of it. And so for Jesus to demonstrate that he can actually still the waters, that he can control the chaos, is, is to demonstrate power never before seen. And, and even then and now for us as well. So it is an incredible demonstration of power that he is Lord over nature itself. And funnily enough, there, there is, though to the people, the sea is a place of destruction and disorder. It, it's where Jesus does a lot of his, his ministry. It is where Jesus chooses to bring peace and stillness and abundance. He calms the storm here. In Luke, he instructs the disciples to fish from the other side where they catch an incredible amount of fish. And then later in chapter six, he will walk on water. Why, why does he keep coming back to the water? Why is that significant? I, I, it shows us that where a situation from an earthly perspective seems chaotic and destructive and, and there's no good from it, Jesus comes and redeems it and turns it for good. That's what he does. The second thing is this, that Jesus's calming of the storm here, it, it actually um, throws back to the, um, to the Psalms. It throws back to Psalm 89, verse eight to nine, which says, O Yahweh God of hosts, who is mighty like you with your faithfulness surrounding you? You are ruling the surging of the sea. When its waves rise, you yourself still them. This beautiful imagery of, of God, of Yahweh, calming the surging of the sea in the Psalms, it, it's brought to fruition here. It's brought into reality through Jesus. Who he, What he's doing is he's foreshadowing his identity. Not, he's not just a good teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's, he, he's God himself. That is who he is. Yeah, it's, it, these things are incredible and incredibly significant. But what I wanna look at particularly tonight is this interaction between the disciples and Jesus in this moment. You know, we have Jesus, um, a huge day of doing things that Jesus does. And he says to his disciples, let's go over 
um, across the Sea of Galilee. Let's go right now. And so they take off without any preparation. Suddenly they're in the boats. A huge storm materializes and threatens to sink the boats. Now the disciples, they're fishermen and, and they know the water. They've, they've known the water their whole lives. This is, this is where they've grown up. Um, and they see this storm and they start freaking out. And what this tells us is that if, if these guys, fishermen, are freaking out about this storm, then we can know that this is a storm that is worthy of being freaked out about, okay? They're not just being overdramatic, okay? And we're told Jesus is not only asleep in the stern, but he is actually comfortably sleeping on a pillow, a very important detail because this just shows us how, how concerned Jesus is. If he's taken the time to find a pillow and set himself up and make his bed a bit and then go to sleep, he's... He's not concerned at all. The disciples wake him and accuse him of indifference and negligence. Is it not a concern to you that we are perishing? Is their language, and you note their language here. The disciples think this is it. This, like, we're done here. This is over. We've, this is game over for us. Jesus wakes, rebukes the violent wind, demands a still silence. He doesn't pull out a wand and wave it. He doesn't uh, summon a power from an incantation. He simply speaks and in an instant, there is great calm. The power of Jesus, the instantaneous nature of Jesus's power. It's It's the exact same way he calls out unclean spirits. It's the exact same way he heals damaged antibodies and illnesses. He simply speaks or he makes contact with, or people come into contact with him. And things that bring destruction lose their capacity to inflict harm. The disciples, they they go from, from freaking out about the storm to freaking out about Jesus. Who is this guy? What has just happened? Their fear transfers from the storm to Jesus and they come face to face with the power of Jesus. And it is it is mind-boggling. It is in, it's incredible to them in this moment. And they say, who is this? Who is this that can do this kind of thing? I wanna be honest with you. When I was looking at this story, the temptation came in my mind of um, um, how I could just deliver a bit of a message where we look at this event as an analogy for how Jesus can calm the storms in our lives um, we could talk about that for a bit and we could, we could sing and we pretty much, we'd all just leave here very chuffed and very um, feeling pretty, pretty good about ourselves and, um, and go from there. I really wanted to do that. That's a, that's a very easy um, and I'm sure acceptable um, way of, of looking at this story. Um, and probably, even though temporary, I, f- I feel like it probably is pretty encouraging but I, I do think that we are invited to look so much deeper here. We're not, in, we're not invited to see Jesus as a Band-Aid fix or um, rather, sorry, our faith in Jesus as a way of just making sure that there's no problems in our lives. Now, I do believe that there are storms in our lives which threaten to sink our faith. There are difficulties that cause us to question God's goodness you know, how many of us can testify to crying out to him like the disciples did? Where are you, God? Do you not care? You know, illness, death of those closest to us, prolonged suffering can make it seem like God is asleep. 
you know, we, we say things like, God, if you, if you really cared, you know, if you really understood how I felt, if you really understood what's happening here, surely you could stop this. Surely, surely you would stop this. Where are you? And of course, out of this, we pray for healing and relief. We pray for opportunity, anything that will make the storm pass and will make the waters settle. But the point about this story is is not about the disciples surviving the storm. It's actually about who is with them in the storm. Who is with them in the boat through the storm. That is what this story is about. It's a story of trust. You know, a chance that these disciples have to, to have calm assurance that Jesus will take care of them or to panic and concede that he doesn't care about them anymore. Whether the storm destroys, whether it rages or subsides, that is not important right now. It is their reaction to the storm, which is important for us. Faith or fear. That is the choice the disciples are given. That is the choice that we are given to when storms come into our lives. Faith or fear. A few years ago, uh, when I was uh, teaching in a high school, I went along to a year nine boys adventure camp um, around Somerset Dam for a couple of days. And uh, part of the vision of this camp was to get the boys out of their comfort zone. So, you know, you do activities where they're kind of forced to um, sort of just push through their usual limits and, um, you know, grow a bit in in their um, resilience, I guess. And one of those activities was abseiling down probably just an eight to 10 metre cliff face, um, which I knew, um, I just had this feeling that this for this particular group I was with, this was gonna be very, very confronting. Um, and there were lots of nervous faces when we walked around and we saw the cliff's edge, uh, mine included. My, I was very nervous about this. I was keeping it together. Um, I've never been one to jump at rock climbing stuff. I've never been one to, um, to you know, when you do high ropes, inevitable, there's an inevitable high ropes course that you have to do in high school at some point. Um, I was never one to be really keen for that. Um, always just kind of held it together and then would nervously get through it. Um, heights have just always been a big fear for me. I'm better now, but I still am very wary. So naturally, when the instructor uh, invites me to go first down this cliff face to demonstrate to the students how it works, I'm literally a live guinea pig at this point. I was very, very, very much out of, the comfort, out of my own comfort zone. The vision of the camp was working on me. <laughs> but I was in a serious dilemma. If... I declined the instructor's offer, I would firstly be instilling more fear into these poor kids as they wait. And I would be setting a terrible example for them. If their teacher's not willing to give it a go, then why would I, you know, I'm a grade nine boy, why would I give that a go? If I accepted, however, I had to go down the cliff. I had to absolutely down the cliff. I'm literally stuck between a rock and a hard place. Which fear was going to be greater in this moment? Which fear was I going to bow to? The fear of letting others down or the fear for my own physical safety? In the end, I, I realised I just I had to do it. I just had to do it. I had no choice. 
Um, I was more afraid of being a, a poor example than I was for my own safety. And despite getting insane rope burn on my hands, because I just let go, because I thought that was the quickest way to get down, I survived the whole ordeal. I made it through. Fear is a powerful force in our human experience. You know, it has this incredible functional benefit for us when it works as God designed it. Think of instinctual fears. Um, They protect us from danger before we have time to think about it. Um, Rational fears protect us from foolish and sinful impulses, usually. Fear kicks in when we perceive a threat that is bigger and more dangerous than you. And it's totally appropriate. This is a great design that God's given us. You know, it's, it's, it's right to be fearful when you're crossing a road and a car is coming because that, that fear tells you to get out of the way, which is the wise thing to do, right? For, for myself in the abseiling situation, I nobly or foolishly perceived the threat to my character as greater than the threat to my physical body. And I made a decision accordingly out of that. Our fear, though, becomes misguided. It becomes misapplied so easily. And it becomes misguided when we fear the lesser power over the greater power. Jesus, after calming the storm, turns to the disciples into the boat and rebukes them. And he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You might think that's a bit harsh, Jesus. But it's not because they were afraid because they didn't believe Jesus had the greater power in that situation. You know, Jesus isn't there saying, why do you fear storms? It's it's perfectly reasonable for the disciples to be wary of a dangerous storm and to take precautions. He is saying, why do you fear the storms when I am with you? Why are you afraid of the lesser power when I, the greatest power, am here with you? That is the question that we need to ask ourselves. Why am I so afraid? You know, what, what, what fear, imagined or real in my life, is bigger and more powerful than Jesus? None. None is more powerful than Jesus. This is why scripture tells us his name is above every other name. This is why we declare that line in in all the songs we sing. His name is above every other fear. He is Lord over every situation, every imagined scenario in our heads, every, every panic attack in our lives, every illness, every tragedy, every challenge we face. He is more powerful. He reigns over all fears in our lives. Take that question for yourself now in this moment. I know it's hard to kind of um, reflect in, in these moments, but have a thing. Why are you so afraid currently? What is in your life that is causing you fear? And the question we're really, we're really looking at is what lesser power are you fearing when the greatest power, Jesus, is with you. You know, I said at the start that we need to um, be, just be careful of the temptation to build a model of Jesus in our lives um, where we're met with, we think that we're gonna receive comfort and um, we, we create this comfortable model of Jesus, this very um, predictable model of Jesus in our lives, a model where all of our earthly 
problems are solved, where our earthly needs are met, where Jesus does away with our issues if we have faith in him. And Jesus becomes a, a means to an end. Our Lord isn't Jesus in that, in, in that thinking. Our Lord is, is comfort. That's what we're truly desiring if we really get to the heart of it. That's what we truly want. And if we have faith that Jesus can take us there, then that might be the way we view Jesus. Comfortable. And this is the uncomfortable truth for us tonight, is that the reality is Jesus, ultimately, he didn't come to calm storms. He didn't actually come to calm storms in our lives. He came to save our souls. His ultimate aim was to save our souls. Of course, Jesus can and often, often does by his grace and his power, calm the storms in our lives. He did, but he did not come to make our lives more comfortable. First Peter 5, 6 to 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties onto him because he cares for you. There's a beautiful truth in there. Come, cast your anxieties onto him, but don't ignore the first part, which says, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God. What this means is come, submit to God's authority. Understand that the storm you are in bows to the name of Jesus Therefore, while it may hurt, its effects are actually temporary and not eternal. You know, it's in the storm often that we come and meet with Jesus. Listen to this author's words. He says, It is in adversity when we come to the end of ourselves that we see the power of God in our lives. That is a blessing. Holocaust survivor Corrie ten Boom said, there is, no pot, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. How can you really absorb that truth unless you are in a pit deep enough to make you doubt it? You know, Jesus came to this earth so that we be conformed into his image. That was his ultimate plan, that we may be conformed to his image, fully dependent on God. So Jesus does not use this storm to demonstrate that if we have faith in him, we will have no issues. He uses it as a, as a question for us. How much are you willing to trust me is what he's asking. You know, for you here tonight, is your faith or does your faith hinge on whether Jesus calms the storm in your life or not? Is that, where, is that what your faith is hinging on? Oh, I'm a Christian if, if this gets fixed if it doesn't, I'm, I'm not. Is God's goodness dependent on whether he lets good things happen to you? Do you believe that God's only good when good things are happening to you? If this is the case, we need a fresh understanding of faith. We need a faith. We need to be shown faith. We need to receive faith from him. We need to be given an example of faith. And so if Jesus came so that we may, may be shaped into his image, then perhaps relief from the storm might not be the best thing to happen to us. You know, we heard Holly share tonight um, about the storm she went through when COVID um, forced church to go online. 
And she said, I've taken part of her testimony. She says, when the church shut down, it was one of the hardest times for me. I felt alone and constantly sad and I knew something was missing. My job had gone from a place I loved working at to a toxic environment. I was having regular panic attacks and breakdowns at work. I wasn't sleeping, but I was so exhausted. She says, I was at breaking point and felt I had nowhere else to go, but then church reopened in person. Sitting in the congregation, I realized that emptiness I was feeling was because I had been so inward focused that I had forgotten the one thing that matters most to me, my relationship with God. From here, I made a conscious effort to start seeking relationship with him again. It was in fact this very storm for Holly, which brought her into the understanding that she had lost track of God. It was the storm that brought her to the end of herself. And in doing so, allowed God to fill afresh, fill her afresh with, with a true faith, a real passion, a real understanding of what it's like to follow Jesus. Here's the truth. Maybe this is, maybe this is the only thing you hear tonight is that God does not take us into storms so that we be made anxious and afraid and hurt and discouraged. He meets us in the middle of them and uses them to make us fearless, secure and steadfast in him. That is why he's in the boat with us. The best thing for us is not that we receive relief. I know that's uncomfortable. The best thing for us is that we are conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ by whatever means necessary. I'm gonna invite the band to come up. In a moment, we're gonna sing. Um, but I wanna read this verse to you. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 17 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We need to reject this transactional model of Jesus we need to not let our faith be conditional on our external circumstances, but on the promise of Jesus and Jesus alone, who says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. The ultimate storm, death, has been done away with on the cross. So why are we afraid why are we afraid? We don't have to be afraid anymore. We can shake off fear in our lives and it is time to shake off fear. It's time to let go of, of this transactional way of seeing Jesus. It's time to stop fearing the lesser power over the greatest power of all time, Jesus. Let's take hold of these promises Jesus gives us and we find joy, we find true, um, a true purpose conforming to his image. You know, I don't wanna be satisfied with the surface level faith, which just wants to receive earthly comforts. I know that we've, we've been created for so much more. We've been created for eternity. I don't wanna be satisfied anymore with earthly comforts. I only wanna be satisfied through faith in Jesus. And I know that there are many here tonight who want the exact same. 
Let's stand together. We're gonna sing. We're gonna declare this truth um, through worship. I'm gonna pray for us and, and the band are gonna lead us. Let me pray. Lord, we come now. We are, we are shaking off fear in this moment, Lord. We are, we are done with fearing, with bowing to things of this world. And we only wanna bow to the name of Jesus, Lord. And so come, fill us with faith afresh, Lord. We're choosing faith in this moment, not fear. And Lord, as we sing, as we lift your name up high, I just pray that you would meet us here, Lord. We would, we would, we would know. In fact, you're always here. We, we're turning to you now, Lord. We're making a decision to stop fearing, to take heart, to find our identity in you, to not be satisfied with, with just living from pleasure to pleasure, but only satisfied in you, Jesus, and the promises you give us. So come, Lord, be the centre of our worship, be the centre of our lives. We lift you on high here tonight. In Jesus' Name, Amen.
I just sensed as Travis was sharing, actually, that, you know, he spoke about just, um, well, I felt prompted, I suppose, that, that maybe this week there's something that God's prompted you to do, but there's a bit of that, that fear. And I, I thought about times in my own life where maybe God's prompted me to give money away, and I felt like, oh, but but God, like, I, I think it's mine, you know, or, or God's prompted me to speak to someone, I think, but I can't speak to that person because what are they going to think of me? And I just sensed that maybe this week God is, maybe not this week, but maybe He has been prompting you to do something and you've been struggling with that and there's a fear there for whatever reason and I think in the midst of that it does take an active response that we need to actually take a moment where we say okay I've actually got to step out here and remember I just read it yesterday actually remember he says that even if you have faith as small as a mustard seed you can tell this mountain to get up and move into the you know go into the ocean and so we need to respond and maybe that message was for you this week to just say, okay, I've actually got to act on this. I feel prompted to do something. I've got to move on this. I've got to act on this. Even if I have small faith, I have to act on it. And you'll see the hand of God work. It'll be so powerful, so amazing. So let me pray for you as we head out this week, whatever God might call you into, uh, let me pray for you. Great God, thank you that you do lead us. Thank you that you do prompt us. Thank you that you guide us. And there's things in our lives that you actually want us to let go of. And, uh, and actually, there's even some here right now that you've been prompting them to do something and they haven't yet. Uh, but this week, they're gonna do it with the small amount of faith that they have. They've realised now, I've gotta do it. I've gotta step out. I've gotta call that person. I've gotta give uh, that thing away. Whatever you've been leading them in, great God. And so, Lord, I just pray for every single one of us. Help us, Lord. Help us with our unbelief. Help us with our fear. May we, may we step out in faith, great God, and allow You, Holy Spirit, to work through our lives as we surrender our hearts to You, we pray. So thank You, great God, that, uh, that, that You are the King, that You are Lord of Lords, and that there's nothing in this world that, uh, that You have all authority, all authority over this world, great God. And, uh, and we can know you personally. It changes everything, literally everything. So great God, we, I'm, I'm sort of expecting, I really am, uh, of the stories that are gonna flow out of this week. It's so exciting. So we thank you, great God. We love you, we worship you, and we honour you in Jesus' mighty and precious name. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. God bless you so much. If you want prayer, uh, we'd love to pray for you. Maybe you just need prayer for something. We'd love to pray for you. Feel free to grab some food, hang out in our courtyard area, but God bless you, uh, whatever God calls you into this week. Thanks heaps.